welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. I'm so delighted to be here today because we're going to be having a conversation about being a sponge or not being a sponge. At least that's what we started talking about before we jumped on to record right now. My guest is Birgitta Visser, and Birgitta is a soul empowerment coach and light configurator, light language healer, delivering messages from the many light beings to the aid of humanity. Her often turbulent journey has been a steep learning curve. Isn't that the truth for so many of us? But through it all, she has learned to love and accept herself as she is, often stumbling through the darkness of her trauma, yet never giving up. Why conform to the illusion of the current human vibration and live according to the societal norm? You've got to dare to live a life according to your own vibrational tune. Birgitta is simply here to plant a seed to help unlock people's own true potential into a better understanding of themselves and the universe. Birgitta, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. Oh, so, you know, even just reading your bio, it's like, you know, steep learning curve and learning to accept ourselves and stumbling through the darkness and trauma and never giving up. I mean, right there is like an entire book. It just, I'm sure there's so much to say, but I always really, really love to start with where did you begin? Like, let's start at the very beginning. Let's start with like, what was it like for very, very little Brigida? Um, obviously it sounds like there was trauma. There was, there were challenges, there were obstacles to overcome. So let's start with your story and see where we go. Yeah, well, you know, um, as we discussed a little bit earlier, you know, before we went, uh, we went on, you know, prior to incarnating, we decide what, you know, what lessons, what experiences we would like to have. Now, obviously, probably both myself and myself and yourself, we were probably high and we ticked all the boxes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, my personal theory is that it's like a course catalog. You can read the course description and think that it sounds like a really great class. And then you get in and you discover who your professor is and you go, oh, this is not what I was planning for. So I, I would say we choose it, but we don't necessarily know what we we don't fully grasp the magnitude no. of the embodied experience. That's my theory about it. Yeah. Absolutely, because up there it seems so easy, right? Right, right. You're, you're like, you're sure, I'm going to go like, through oh, this. Yeah. Trauma, no problem. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. so I was born in Holland. And um, so, yeah, I am part Dutch. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, yeah, from, um, I think I was about, I think it was about 10, 10 or 11. That's when, that's when... The, um, the abuse started through a friend of the family. And I, I didn't even understand. I mean, back in the ninth, you know, the eighties were a different time era. Very different to now. time. Yes. Yes. And people weren't as open, right? Mm -mm. As today. Yeah. So if you were abused today, whether that's physical, mental, you know, you can turn around for help. Right. right? In the 1980s, that wasn't the case. And yeah. I just kept the lid on it. I yeah. didn't tell my parents because what would they think? I mean, even at school, there was a, a teacher, a Malaysian teacher who taught Bahasa Malaysian, um, Bahasa Malay, and he kept stroking my legs. And my sister told my parents and they, they went to school and they, they told the, the, the head teacher or the, the principal. And um, I had to go in and I had to explain it. And I had to write it all down. And then I had to give it to the principal and the teacher got fired. But that in itself was traumatic for me too, because I had to write everything down and I didn't understand why he was fired. And for the longest time, I felt that, you know, that was my fault. 
And so when I was abused by a friend of the family, because we were staying at his house for a while, because uh, my dad had gone bankrupt. And, um, you know, and I think two months later, we moved somewhere else. And so I never told my mom, I never told my parents. And I mean, I was a skinny kid as well. And so when we moved back several years later to Holland, um, you know, I mean, life was very different. It was a very a cultural shock for me because in Malaysia, we wore uniforms and I was just accepted as a tall, lanky kid, right? Mm-hmm. I had not, I had, I always say I had nobly giraffe knees, right? Cause that's, uh, that's how tall I was, but, um, I am, uh, I'm five foot 11. Yeah. And, but when we got back to Holland, life was different. And, you know, my dad also passed away. So that was an extra dent for me. And, uh, how old were you, know, you when your dad died? Uh, 14. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. my dad never knew because by the time I told my mom what had happened, I was 19. Mm-hmm. So that was a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also got bullied at school and I was so scared of the guys, you know, at school and, you know, my high school that I always used to go, uh, through the basement entrance. And if there was a guy in the hallway and my class was two doors down, oh, forget it. I would just walk back and take another route to class. Because the thing is, one bit of trauma creates another bit of trauma, right? Yes. And if you don't heal it, it just accumulates and accumulates and accumulates. Yeah, Yeah, it snowballs. Yeah, it snowballs. And that's just what happened. And, you know, then my mom put me on a, on a modeling course as well when I was 16, because I really walked like this because I felt like I had the weight of the world on my shoulders mm-hmm. and it was so rigid. And, um, I felt like Quasimodo, right? From the hunch, you know, the hunchback of Notre Dame. And not only that, I just felt ugly. I just didn't feel confident in my own skin, you know, and being bullied was tough for me as well. Yeah. And yeah. so it, so this course I did, well, I, you know, a hairdresser picked me out and um, I had long hair and he chopped it all off, short, pixie. And I was like, oh, my God, I felt so ugly. I just I, I it was horrific. And you're I like felt. 16 years old when this is yeah. happening. And yeah. you're you've moved. Your father has died two years prior to this. You're 16, you've moved back to an area where you're getting bullied and harassed and you're going through culture shock. And then you go see this hairdresser and he cuts all your hair off. He cuts it all off for a show, yeah. Oh. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, I wanted to be, that. there were two extremes of me because after high school, I was so glad when high school was over. Mm -hmm. Um, You and me both. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, on on one hand, I wanted to be, okay, class me is crazy, but I wanted to be a nun. But on the other hand, I wanted to get into the modeling. So I chose the modeling. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a whole world of abuse in itself. And it's very superficial. Yeah. Um, and even there, I got abused. I got yeah. abused by hairdresser when I went to New York. But not only that, I mean, you know, I was a late bloomer. So my first boyfriend I had when I was 21 and a half. I didn't know anything about guys, Jen, nothing, you know, I mean, kids frolic around, so to speak, you know, but um, uh, those days were different back then. Yeah. And I, I didn't even understand them. It was my brain was wired the wrong way, right? Because when I'm the first guy that I, I met. I was like, well, when I kissed him, I was like, well, I have to go out with the guy, right? Mm. That's the way my brain was wired. Well, it was also the way we were socialized back then. I mean, you're talking, I mean, I'm imagining you're talking what, like early 90s at this point or? Yeah, it was 74, 84, 94. So uh, yeah, 95, 96, yeah. 95, 96. And it's like, so, so we're still being like, I mean, as females were being socialized at this point to be like, he likes me. Like that was all that mattered. It didn't matter if we cared about them. We were just being like, we were, it was so much about, I at least, and I can only imagine being in the modeling industry. 
like it's all about the male gaze. It's all about like, are we desirable? Are we beautiful? Are we like, does he want me? And so of like, would you like who even taught you to question? Who even taught you to ask like, do, do I like him? Am I interested in him? Yeah, but this is yeah. the thing, right? Because I didn't heal my trauma. So I rolled from one toxic relationship into right. the other and I didn't have many. And I was like, oh, spirit, we're having a ball up there because they're like, oh, is Brigitte going to learn from this one? No, let's no. present her another one. Oh, a worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, no. And then, you know, after I think in 2009, I really started to, to, to learn. Yeah, it was it was one of these things where I was thrown into um, drug abuse, so to speak. I mean, when my stepdad died in in 2000, um, I could say I had the wrong kind of friends, but they weren't the wrong kind of friends because, you know, I had to take responsibility for my life. So, I mean, I used drugs for about three months, you know, um, E and, 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 and cocaine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yes, I could have killed myself one night because I took quite a few E's uh, and I suffered memory loss. And um but, you know, it's it's when my stepdad died, I had to be there for my mom. And prior to that, because he passed away of cancer, he, um, I, you know, I went there every weekend to help her out because that's just what you do. Right. And um, when so when he crossed over, it was like everyone always wanted me to be happy. Right. Um, because Brigitte is always happy and she's always smiley. And so it wasn't really something that. You know, when my my stepdad passed away, it wasn't really talked about. It was like two minutes and then it was like, okay, you know, we done. And that was just the way it was. And so I've I used to keep a lot of a, a lot to myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, you you were speaking about and in your being highly sensitive empath. In terms of the experience of being a sponge, the experience of taking it all on, um, of meeting other people's needs. And I'm imagining like how much of all the things you found yourself in were also about like the idea that it was your, like that it was your obligation or your job or your responsibility to meet those other people's needs. And I find as an empath too that not only do we come up against the social structure pressure to do certain things, but then we also feel the desire body and the will body of other people who want us to do certain things. And and sometimes it can be really hard to distinguish like what's my desire and what's that other person's desire. And so I think we can get lost in it and then kind of be like, oh, I don't really want to be doing this. I also just want to acknowledge like two father figures dying before the age of 21. That's really significant. Yeah, it was. Um, You know, when my dad passed away in 1988, that's the first time I had a headache. Mm. (laughs) I already knew prior that he was going to cross over because I, I told my mom, I kept telling her he left the letter behind, he left the letter behind. And he did. And it he because he refused to take his medication, his heart medication. He had coronary heart disease, and uh, I had a dream that he passed away. Um, you know that he would pass away, and he he did. I mean, he's fine now. He's a multi-dimensional gatekeeper, right? There, right. So I've seen him, right. so it's fine. You know, but yeah. as a kid back then, <laughs> it's it, yeah, but it's different. I mean, it's like yeah, it, it's 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 completely in my experience it's like we can know that they are absolutely fine but the grieving but our bodies grieve the loss of a yeah. human being absolutely yeah absolutely um and then yeah at the age of absolutely when i was 2021 20, it was my stepdad and that was tough too yeah yeah and i you know but i look back now and i and i think to myself Yes, I've been through a lot of trauma, you know, like you, would I have it any other way? No, I don't think so, because we wouldn't be who we who we are today. Exactly. Well, and you mentioned, so, and I just want to say, I'm kind of amazed that you did a stint with, uh, you know, ecstasy and 
I'm assuming when you were saying E, you were talking about ecstasy, Um, you know, that you did a stint with ecstasy and coke for three months and you got out of that. I'm like, wow, that was a really short bender compared to. So, I mean, what a miracle that you were only doing it for three months. What an absolute miracle. But you said, you know, like you commented earlier that um, you had like you learned, like you had a lot of lessons thrown at you and it wasn't until 2009 that you really like the lesson kind of hit. And so I know we're kind of jumping forward from the death of your stepdad, but I'm curious, like, what was it? Like, was it, did you hit bottom? Did you like, what was it that made you go, this is no longer working for me. I have to do something different. Um, well, it was very extreme case, you know, I mean, all my life I've moved around. I've probably moved around more times than my age. Mm -hmm. Um, but this was in Holland and I'd met somebody online, right? Uh, I think it was MySpace at the time (laughs) for three years. And uh, I decided to visit him in in, uh, North Carolina and he seemed wonderful, you know, um, I just didn't know he was a crack addict. <laughs> oh, so he's in Holland. He's in North Carolina. And, and you go. Um, and then he came to live with me. But, you know, silly me, I paid for his ticket because I had a really good job. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing about me. It doesn't matter where you put me in the world. I will always find work. But I had a really good job um, working for Shell at the time. And uh, so he came and I've always had these people where it's very hard for them to find their feet or, you know, I was such a broken bird and I was trying to fix another broken bird. Mm-hmm, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. broken bird seeks another broken bird mm-hmm. and they're trying to fix one another and that's not going to work uh, because you really need to fix yourself. Yes. Yeah. And so he, when he came, he got into trouble. It was all right for maybe a month or two. Then he got into trouble because I had to work and I had to look for jobs for him. And this is one of the things I've always done. I've always looked for jobs for others, right? Mm -hmm. Because for me, it's so easy. Yes. And that was wrong of me because you you enable someone, right? Right. Because people need to find their own way. It's their journey. You can't walk the journey for them because then you are um stumping their growth mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so what happened was oh my gosh he got in bed with the crips in holland and uh then he had his well i tried to help him tried to get him to rehab center and he did he did want to get better but you know in the states you need a social security right it's mm-hmm. kind of the same in holland and he couldn't get in he just mm-hmm. couldn't get in because mm-hmm. they asked for this which is ridiculous Mm-hmm. But um, he then, you know, he just kind of gave up when another bender, then he was held by them. And uh, there was a ransom and well, his mother just flipped on me totally. She tore into me. Uh, my mother tried to contact her, but she wouldn't have any of it because it was, you know, she's like, you took my son away and you took him away from his son and da, 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 whatever. And I thought, lady, leave me alone. Well, and lady, he's the one who got on the plane and came to another country. I, like I, you yeah. know, Jen, I didn't even know he was a crack addict. His family no. didn't even warn me. Nobody mm. warned me. Mm. And so um Well, and he, he might have been taking what's called a geographic cure. You know, there's that whole thing yes. of like, I'm gonna pack it up and move to another place, and all of a sudden all my problems are gonna go away. Nope. <laughs> The grass is not greener on the other side. Oh, it no, just no, isn't. no. Yeah. Because you take your problems, your, your issues with you. So I helped him. I did help the police. And mm-hmm. I did. And my mom got me out of Holland in a space of several days because it was just, it was horrific. I mean, mm. I'd never seen crack hands before. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And I thought he was just going to die. But um, so I... My mom took me out, and then when the guy from the Crips is on trial right now, or maybe he's he's he, well, he is behind bars for sure. Um, but it, it's it's just that I had my life threatened. He had his life threatened. 
you know, after I'd, I'd helped the police and he was deported back to the States. You know, for the longest time, I didn't go back to the Netherlands. Mm. Like I said, I went back last week, but it was yeah. for business, for my work. And um, it was a different town. But um, yeah, it was Is that one of the first back. times you'd been back to the Netherlands? That was the first time. Yeah, that was the first time. Um, I just got it chills. A, yeah, it did a real number on me at the time. Yeah. And uh, I mean... This guy had a long rep sheet uh, in, in Holland. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it, it was one of the biggest cases, actually, that only went to trial. What we were, what, in 2022? I think it went in 2021. So wow. the prosecution had a lot of uh, evidence to garner over the years against uh, the Crips. But yeah, um, that was really an experience that really threw me. Mm-hmm. really I really hit hit rock bottom yeah and I was so shaken that when I got back to the UK very you know I took a box of neurofens which is ibuprofen mm-hmm. and took them all and um I, I woke up the next morning but it was um I you know I didn't have my headache anymore and then I thought to myself yeah well taking trying to take your own life is a bit this is a bit of a pathetic attempt and so I, I went to see a counselor and the counselor said to me, well, Birgitta, you're strong enough. You'll be fine. I was like, yeah, yeah excuse me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Honestly, I remember that to this day. It was ridiculous. That is ridiculous. And so, and so I had to figure out, you know, um, I, I rolled into Reiki mm-hmm. and that was the start of my healing journey. And um, then I studied drug and alcohol abuse because I mm-hmm. wanted to understand the mind of an addict. And I studied many other healing modalities. And that, you know, it, it helped me a lot. It wasn't the end of my healing journey because I got kicked into the abyss several years later, right? That's how you heal. That's yeah. how you learn. Because I always say to people, you know, you're like an onion. And every time, right, you have an experience, a traumatic experience, right? You peel a layer back of the onion, you cry, but you heal up, and then you get the next experience, and and so on. Yeah, so that really that that was a harsh, harsh lesson, a beautiful experience because I mean, I I love him for having been part of my life. I've been in touch with him over the years, even though he went through the prison system time and time again. But it was his monkey. He needs to heal from his own trauma. Yeah. And I can't do that for him. Mm-mm. And I've said to him, you know, I actually enabled you because I did in a way. Yeah. And I I recognize that. But I don't. Th- this is the thing. You see, many people go through life holding grudges against those that they have been with. And why? Why? Yeah. You're so much better off forgiving them. Yes. Right. And just loving them for having been part of your life because experiences with someone, you know, experiences in general, they're not here to taunt you, but they're here to elevate your awareness, to expand your awareness, your consciousness, you know, and not to remain in that toxicity. Why, why, why do people do that? You know, right. you have to love yourself because if you don't love yourself, how can you heal yourself? Right. And if you don't heal yourself, how can you ever truly love yourself? How can you ever live a life fulfilled? Well, and forgiveness is like, I mean, that is just such a conversation because what I've seen as a healer is that there are a lot of people who resist forgiveness because they feel like if they forgive somebody, they're letting them off their the hook for their own karma, for their own bad behavior. for and. And it's like, no, in my opinion, forgiveness is setting ourselves free, not the other person. And, and that it is about accepting the reality of what has been and letting it be okay that it, and, and letting, and just acknowledging that that was what it was instead of constantly, like you were saying, carrying around this, this grudge or harboring this deep level of resentment. But it's fascinating how often just witnessing that journey that so many people, so many of us go through of like going from that grudge and that resentment to that place of acceptance. So for you, like, I don't imagine that you suddenly were just like, you know, hit with the enlightenment stick. 
And like, (laughs) all of a sudden, like you were just like, I'll forgive everything. Like, what was the journey? Like, how did you, how did you go from bitterness? How did you go from resentment? How did you go? Because I mean, obviously like, oh my God, your story is just, you, you know, you could easily be like debilitated by your, by your, your story and your trauma. And you obviously found a different way. But I'm really curious about that that in-between period where maybe you started realizing like the grudge was not serving you, but like, what was that transition like? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So I had a, so from that grudge, because I had a real grudge against this family as well. And it was, it, it, it was just eating me up alive. Yeah. And so I found a regression therapist. And years prior, I went to see one in Holland and I didn't see anything. I wasn't even under hypnosis. And he's like, oh, well, maybe you were in the light for a long time. And I was sitting there thinking, I just want to get up. I want to get up and leave now. (laughs) So I went to see a regression therapist in in London and I went in with no expectations. And and I mean, it blew my mind Mm -hmm. because... In that lifetime, I lived in the Byzantium Empire and I was taken back and I could see it all. I could describe myself because yep. I was a man and I could describe my home. I mean, it was just like, I mean, the little fountain, the mosaics, the, 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 so it's like alabaster. I don't know what it was. Um, just what the, the, the home was made of. And I was married and I had a daughter. Um, not that I loved my wife in that lifetime. I mean, we had an understanding, you know, we respected one another, but life was different then. Well, I imagine and it was an arranged marriage back then. It so could well be. It, it was probably well a marriage of, it was a business arrangement more, even more so than a marriage yeah, of love. And, yeah. And she, yeah. And so um, in that lifetime, my, my ex, um, Mark, who was in my book, of course, um, he was, a very close friend of mine and I call him a blood brother mm-hmm. and his wife during that lifetime is his mother in this lifetime mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. because I was I was a philosopher but I was I was so far ahead of my time and whatever I'd written he said to me it was blasphemous so I got arrested and you, you know she was like um she was always standing in the shadows behind him uh, and because of that, you know, like I said, I was, um, I was put in prison and I never saw my family again. And I died in prison. Um, I was killed in prison. What an amazing so, bookend where you were put it, he put, you put you in prison in that life. And then essentially you helped to put him in prison in this one. Well, I mean, he was already in. in, in yeah, he was already doing I mean, he, yeah. yeah, he would not have, he would not have gone to prison if it were not for his own bad behavior. I'm not saying you were responsible for it, but it's just so fascinating. The bookend or the perfect symmetry of those two lives. You know, yeah. and when I was still kind of under the gate, the, the regression therapist said to me, do you now see the similarities? And I, I had to think for a minute. And then I said, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So that was really amazing. It's not the only life I've lived with him, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, I've lived mm-hmm. a life in Egypt with him as well. But, you know, that that was, it was so powerful and it really helped me a lot. And so it was kind of like I say, you know, it was grinded down, you know, bit by bit. And so I have no issues with what, like I said, with him, with his family, you know. Yeah. Everyone chooses their parents. And sometimes these are difficult relationships. Yeah. So, yeah. And then from that, from then on, um, you know, life started to be on the up for me until I met someone else. So I bought a place, a property in um, in the U.S. in St. Petersburg. Oh, wow. And, yeah. And then I met someone else who was very needy and he moved two doors down from me from an hour away. Mm. and uh, because I had said oh why didn't you move in with me not thinking not thinking and then I had to backtrack I had to backtrack because I just wasn't ready I couldn't do it but at least you backtracked I mean I did I did but you know it was one of these things where he also had his, his mother crossed over and then he had a reckless and he couldn't find a job and he just couldn't couldn't pay the fees and it just got out of control because 
he procrastinated. He didn't know how to get out of that hole. Mm -hmm. And my fault actually was that I enabled him because I paid some of the bills. I got him food. I was looking for jobs for him, you know. And let's face it, he wasn't exactly legal, legal, legal. And so, um, I mean, I had my um, a text ID and I was working. I was working because I didn't care that I walked dogs, right? Or I needed to pull weeds from someone's garden. It doesn't matter what kind of work you do. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and then I was nannying as well. So I was always busy. I was always on the go. And he just couldn't sort it out. And he had the keys to my place when we turned them. It got so bad, so bad that I was often on the floor crying in the dark. And I actually sold my home. I sold my home to get away from him. Wow. Then I bought another home and I wasn't really happy there. And um, But it was for me because I felt like such a failure, right? Mm-hmm. Because I was like, yeah, I bought that home and I, I, I wasn't really happy there. I mean, I was happy there, but because he was around the corner and he was always checking in on me, like, what are you doing? Where are you going? And um, so I moved. And I bought another property that I got ripped off by the builders and the house was a bit of a money pit. <laughs> and then I, I mean, it was still bad because he still came around there because it was my own fault because I offered him work. And I said, well, if you want to work on my house, then I'll, I'll pay you. Well, I mean, I paid another builder more and uh, that, that didn't sit so well. But um from then on, I mean, it it got so bad. I was screaming at spirit. I was really screaming at spirit and at God from like, I just want to have a life, you know, please help me. I cannot go on like this anymore because he keeps barging in my space. And I would really just absorb his energies, you know, and this is the problem with me. Like when we're talking about empaths, yeah. I would absorb people's energies and right. they, all around me and people would feel great, you know, oh, and I'd feel like shit because right. I just absorbed them. And that's why I say, you know, I used to be a SpongeBob. Right. And um, yeah. So, but I never knew that for many, many years. And it's not something that, like I said, an empath to me is just a mindset. It's a label. It's a mm-hmm. cop-out, you know. Hey, I'm an empath. I can't help it. Well, that's an easy cop-out, isn't that it? That is an easy cop-out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I so- I personally look at it as if you are an empath, then it's your responsibility to do something about it. Like it's it's mm-hmm. not a cop-out. It's a it's more of a response. It's from my perspective, it's a responsibility, not a cop-out. And yeah, but, it is. Yeah. It is a responsibility. And as I said to you earlier, like um, like St. Germain, because I love channeling St. Germain, he says it's like being given this, this um, flavored lollipop, right? And you're refusing to let go because you love it too much. Mm-hmm. And you become, actually, you, you become addicted yeah. to the variety of flavors of that brand called Empath. And yes. you say, you know, it's like, I'm an empath and I absorb other people's energies, right? But that's like, like he, like he says, and like I just said, that's the ultimate cop out because you've got to take that responsibility for how you feel, you know, and hiding behind the influx, the influx of the wave of emotions that you have allowed to wash over you. It's, it's, you've got to stop conning yourself. Yeah. You, yeah. And, and you've got to change that fear based, um, illusional thought. You change your subliminal state of mind. That's what it is. And that's why I always say to be a sponge or not to be a sponge. It's ultimately, that's your choice. Yeah, to and be so a sponge was my or choice. not to be a sponge. Yeah. And so, but I was a sponge for the longest time and I did absorb people's energy. But the thing is, the difference is I wasn't, I wasn't in the victimhood because I always soldiered on. I had to figure it out. I had to figure it out regardless of how tired I may have been of life and of everyone. I had to keep soldiering on. That is how my mind has always been programmed. Yeah. And I understand that not everyone is like that. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, it was very key to figure life out, right? Because I couldn't remain as I was. And, um, and he's, again, he was a wonderful, wonderful teacher, but I was so down and out. I was just lying on the floor. And I, when I said to Spirit, I really need help. I can't do this anymore. 
And so they send me a breadcrumb, right, in the form of my sister. I'm not in touch with her anymore because we are two opposites, mm-hmm. like two peas in a pod. But she's a beautiful reflection. She mm-hmm. really has been a beautiful reflection. But um, so I did Kambo. Kambo is the shamanic, um, uh, oh gosh, the I call it the uh, the frog cleanse. So where you have points uh, burnt off in the top of your skin, either your arm or your um, or your leg, mm-hmm. and you get the poison from the monkey tree frog, right? That's in mm-hmm. the Amazon forest. You get the the point the the poison put on the the four points, and what happens then is you puke your guts out. Yeah, you puke your guts out, and uh, well, it comes out both ways. So I had to mm-hmm. run to the toilets, and I'm glad I took clean underwear with me because oof, my gosh. But you know the shamans they're used to it, but it was so physical. Yes, so physical. And my ego was fighting so much. It's like, you know, trying to regain that control, you know, because it's you're so used to living a certain way um, that when you deprogram yourself, so to speak, it's it's tough. And it took yeah. four hours the first time round. And I was, whoa. And then I did it two more times and then it was easier, yeah. you know. But from that point on, I said, you know what? I'm going to change my life. And I had so much clarity because... Everything would just come out. It's like, you know, your insights have been through the car wash, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And, and your mind as well. And so um, I made a bucket list of all the things that I wanted to do. I did skydiving because I had a fear of sky. I had a fear of heights. So I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to jump out of a place. And I did. I did. Um, and then I started running for charity because I promised, I promised my stepdad back in 2000, I'm going to run for charity. Uh, well, that remained a figment of my imagination for like 16, 10, 16 years or so. Mm-hmm. But then I did it. I started running 5Ks and mm-hmm. I think I did a 10K. So I did that. Uh, and then Spirit kicked me out of the house one day and they told me to go to this fair um, at Unity Church, uh, First Unity in St. Pete. And so I was like, no, I don't want to go. Oh, well, you're going. So I did. And that's where I met my former mentor, Alania Starhawk. And she does Akashic record healings. Mm-hmm. And that was so powerful because I didn't understand why, you know, my ex who didn't think he was my ex, uh, you know, wouldn't leave me alone. Right. And so that had to do with a past life where yep. he, oh, he poisoned me and I died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was one of the reasons. And when people... Sometimes when you meet someone, there are aches and pains or stuff that comes to the surface, right? So I had um, something wrong with my stomach and I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't eat. I couldn't even have a cup of tea. And I had to figure out what was, you know, I had to, I had to figure out what to eat. And so mangoes did help me, but I lost an incredible amount of weight, incredible amount of weight. Um, I was literally skin over bones. Uh, yeah, well, and at five eleven, you don't like like that's going to affect you. Like yeah. I'm five foot and three quarters of an inch, <laughs> and so I like like my body. I'm just thinking like because of your height, that yeah. probably really affected you very very strongly. It did. I looked horrific. I yeah. didn't even like myself. Um, in fact, I hate it. But you know, it's so funny because for the for so many, many years, I hated myself and the way mm. I looked, right? Um, and yet you were in modeling. In yes, but it doesn't matter. I looked in the mirror and I just saw this. I just, yeah. I, I just want to hold that out because I think our culture has this idea that if a woman is, you know, beautiful enough to be a model, that somehow she's going to have this sense of self that is different than ours. And yet... I don't personally, I've yet to meet a woman who doesn't scrutinize. Like, I mean, some of the most absolutely gobsmackingly beautiful women I've ever met still Mm. don't see their beauty. And so I just want to say like, you guys, if you're having body image issues, or if you're, if you're questioning your own appearance, this is, I'm talking to a woman who was in the modeling industry and she went through the same thing. So I just wanted to pull that out and be like, it's so sad how pervasive this is, but 
Yeah, but you know, I used to starve myself many yeah. years as well because it, it was the only thing that I could control and mm-hmm. everything that everything, you know, um around me. And the yeah. other thing that I like I said, I could I could find work anywhere I went. Yeah. And so um but yeah, when I walked through the Akashic record halls with her, it was it, it, I was gobsmacked. She had no idea that I suffered stomach issues. So when she brought that up, you know, and this was in the Middle Ages, so it was quite interesting. And I could see myself. I was a woman in that lifetime. And I can't, I, I don't know what I did because I can see myself. I was opening up little drawers in my in my home, which was like a study. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had this, uh, my ex had this intricate knowledge of herbs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he poisoned me. Mm-hmm. And he poisoned me over a period of time, mm-hmm. saying that he was, you know, helping mm-hmm. to cure me. But all he wanted was to climb the societal ladder. Uh, that was it. And um, he took all my money. And by the time that I was found, it was too late to save me. But, um, I, you know, I, I mean, I love him for having been in my life. I do. I still sometimes, you know, email him. But um, And he's doing so well for himself now. But, you know, I needed to let him hit that rock bottom yes it was one of these things where his place was being tented and I had to pay oh yeah when he moved I had to pay the deposit and then when there were termites it was tented and um I had to pay for the hotel um and then it was uh when he came out his place hadn't been the tent was still out and so he came to mine and by that time I lost it I totally lost it I was weaving through traffic like a maniac. I don't even understand to this day how a cop didn't stop me because I mm-hmm. really jumped lights. Mm-hmm. But I that was, you know, that was, I was at the end. And that's actually when I did the combo. And, you know, I walked through Akashic Records healing. And then I started to channel. Um, I learned that through a workshop. And so I'm one of these people, I'll, I'll, easily admit that I'm a bit of a loner I like to keep my own you know I like my solitude I like my yeah. space yeah um you and I were talking about that earlier too yeah. about just really giving yourself permission to claim that space yes because yeah. we don't always do that no because, we don't. you know people always it's one of these things I mean I love my own company now I really do mm-hmm. um but there was a time when I was a doormat when people yeah. would just come to me and I just had to help every palm Dick and Harry out. And that's not the way it should work. You know, Mm-mm. people need to learn to help themselves. Yeah. And is it selfish? No. But then we come to another key ingredient of life that's self-love. Yeah. Because if you don't love yourself, you know, you, how can you ever live like a life fulfilled? How can you, how do I say that? If you do not, um, release your experiences you remain your own kink in the cable mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's why self-love is so important that self-love and self-forgiveness you know yeah absolutely I want to um I'm just I was thinking like it clearly you you know you came to understand your your sensitivity your vulnerability to be a sponge yeah. And you came to understand the ways that you had been enabling people, that you were people, you know, giving too much and people pleasing. And then you started to recognize like, wait a second, this is the buck's got to stop here. I've got to do something different. I'm wondering what was like, if you had practical advice for somebody who's in that place of going, I need to stop being the sponge and I need to stop giving so much. What's that initial, like, like, how did you, like, how did you pivot that? How did you, like, what did you do to make that different? And it's so funny because I'm getting this song from up there, you know, the room, the song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, right? Mm-hmm. It's about <laughs> learning to respect yourself. Yeah. And people always, so I will say this, right? We talk about responsibility and it's taking responsibility for your own life. Right. It's not about it's not about another person or that person or that person is about you. Mm-hmm. And people don't always see. I didn't see it at the time, you know, yeah. um, but I had to learn that, too. And people will say, yeah, but no, there is no but. Right. You have to take that responsibility, have to look at yourself, 
You have to look at what you are going to do or choose to do to heal, right? Are you going to keep on to those? Are you going to hang on to those experiences or are you going to let go? Yeah. Well, and, and I I know for myself that recognizing the attraction to the overstimulation, you were talking about the lollipops and the flavor. Yes. yes. And recognizing the part of me that was bored and lonely mm-hmm. and would seek stimulation and would seek out feeling the distress that was coming from the world around me actually because I kind of got off on it. Like it kept me busy. It kept me occupied. It was, and and there is an addictive quality to it. And that's a hard truth to cop to because, you know, it, it, it's a little embarrassing when you're going, I'm the person responsible for this. I'm curious, like just from a very, very, very logistic standpoint, how did you say no? Like when you went from meeting other people's needs to not meeting other, or to saying, you know what? I come first. I respect myself. Was there like, like, how did you say no? Did you? I had to learn that. I really had to learn to say no. Yeah. But I think because I, I chose to do, and I still do a lot of work on myself. So I ditched the shame label and the fear label, right? I ditched those. Um, and, and I think people have, because I, even when I was younger, I was always afraid to hurt another person, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's like, whoa, walk all over me then. Right. And, right. right. And who, who ends up being hurt, right? You hurt yourself. This exactly. Yeah. It's like I said, it's, it's really about taking that responsibility. But there's one other thing I wanted to say, which Saint Germain always says, I forgot to add that to it. I know I'm hopscotching, but oh, yeah, we, I got gotcha. you. I'm following. He says, oh, it's, it's, um, you can either choose to remain like a mop on the floor, right? A mop on the floor with me persona. Uh, and he's like, then by all means, it's okay. You, you can do that. There's no right or wrong. Um, you know, be that Klingon. Um, but never seek the fault in another, but rather look at the faulty wiring within. Look at the mm-hmm. reflection in the mirror mm-hmm. because you're the culprit. No one else is the culprit, right? You've got to tweak yourself, as he says. You've got to tweak yourself from that deflated state um, back to the vibrance of that radiant inflated state of being, right? So from deflated to inflated to the wholesomeness that you are. Yeah, I love that. From deflated to inflated. So, yes. so good. Yeah. yeah. It's like the tire, a flat tire, right? Yeah. And you pump the tire back and it rolls mm-hmm. and it rolls on its journey of life. So I can't believe how fast this conversation has gone by. I'm like, we're almost <laughs> towards the top of the hour. Yeah. And it just like, we've just been zooming the universe here. What does life look like now? Oh, life is so different now. I, I'm admittedly though, you know, I was telling you my job is crazy because sometimes mm-hmm. I do 60 hours a week. It's mm-hmm. insane right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that spirit telling me, well, you know what you're going to do about it. Yeah, well, okay, I'm in this transition period. So yes, I've got to take the stick a little bit. Um, I'm good at what I do. I, I, I do know this. But I do take responsibility for everything, for all my experiences. Yeah, And that is the beauty about it, right? When, because when you take responsibility for all your experiences and you alchemize you know, all that no longer serves you, life becomes, life becomes easier and it flows better because you don't have these kinks in your own cable, so to speak, right? You relinquish the the, the labels in your mind. Yeah. Tell me more about alchemize, alchemizing the experience. What does that look like? So of course, when we talk about alchemy, right? Yeah. That's alchemizing something from lead to gold. And it's yes. with your experiences, right? Yes. They're lead, they're heavy. Mm-hmm. And then you, you release them, you release them, but which is a choice, of course, right? And then you become lighter because you turn it into gold and it just becomes, wow, you know, I understand the experience. I've lived it, I understand it, but I can let go and it's okay. Yeah. Well, and I absolutely, you know, the other thing I've noticed is that 
when we're locked in the trauma in the trauma when our energy body is stuck in the in the frozen in the memory of trauma we often are locked in the age we were when it happened and we are locked in perspective that never goes past the moment of freezing so we don't yeah. see our resilience we don't see that we've survived it we don't see all kinds of other things and we often for, don't get to receive or benefit from the lessons we've learned from it until we do release the trauma and i've yeah. doing work with people around releasing the old stuck congestion I've seen so often, it's like once we release it, our perspective completely changes. Yes, it does. And we get a completely different understanding of what happened, why it happened, how it happened, and what it's about that is so significant. You know, it's funny because you're releasing the energy, right? Yeah. And emotions that we hold are, are as you know, emotion. energy, energy, emotion, yeah. right? Because yeah. we're energy, so we can release anything. We can release whatever we want. Yeah, we can make our life as gilly as a pickle, right? Mm -hmm. Or we can make it phenomenal. That's our yeah. choice. Yeah, yeah. Mm. What an amazing conversation this has been. I'm so grateful. So one of the things I always love to ask. So two things. First is, is there anything that we haven't discussed? that feels like I really want to say this. This is really important to get this out there. Um. Oh, gosh. I mean, uh, I think we covered I think we covered. I mean, there are other, other things that I talk about, especially about transformation. But, um, you know, I talk about the fact that there is no death. And I think because I've lost so many people, I understand now that there is no death. Yeah. You know, we go on. We are, this is just a physical shell. That's mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. We're temporary visitors. Mm -hmm. And as we were talking about very briefly earlier, so because this is only temporary and we are labeled so much, we get bombarded every single day, you know, and it's like, it doesn't matter what other people think of you. It matters what you think of you and how you feel about yourself, right? And so you've got to go and live your life. And this is the thing that people don't always do. They, they don't live their life. They allow themselves to be lived because, you know, you have to conform to a certain norm. Oh, that's a load of baloney. Honestly, you've got to be you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Why do you think people are so, so at a dis-ease within themselves, right? So many people are. And yeah. then they wonder why. Because they're not listening to their own truth and they're not following themselves. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, and I just want to say in my experience, you know, we've been touching on past life work and we've been touching yeah. on Akashic record work. And yeah. I, I will say that in my personal experience, when there is no answer in this lifetime, go to the Akashic records and there will be answers. And there is something so powerful about seeing past lives and the way that they're impacting this life. And I've been blown away for myself and for people I've worked with where mm -hmm. looking at the records and allowing ourselves to understand the lives, it gives perspective about so many different things. And so I love that, you know, and, but it also, and this was what you were saying, is like, for me, remembering multiple lives makes it a lot easier to understand that this, this life is temporary and that it is not permanent, it is not finite, that it is not fixed, that yeah. and that we will keep on evolving, we will keep transforming, we will keep going. So I have one more okay. question for you yes. before I go the how do we reach out to you and get in touch with you <laughs> question. My next question for you is, if you could give, um, if like, I believe that this podcast is like fabric that folds, is the fabric of time that folds over on itself and mm -hmm. that we fold into a time period where what we are saying now is broadcast back to a different, to, to when you were younger and struggling. And so I want you to imagine that we are literally time traveling back and that the fabric of time is folding over and that we are broadcasting a message to the suffering, struggling part of you that was like, did not have a clue yet. And I would love to hear what you as the awakened, empowered, light-filled Brigida says to the 
struggling, skinny, bullied, SpongeBob, <laughs> codependent is all get go, <laughs> Birgitta, who was just giving it all away. You know, if 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 I were broadcasting it and it'd be TV, you know what my younger self would do? Switch of the TV. But <laughs> so let's do it in her you know, sleep really so that funny. she so let's do it while she's sleeping yeah. so that she can't help it. She's gonna hear this message whether she wants it or not. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, you know, um, but that that's really for everyone, you know. It's yes. Yeah. You know, we need to return to our authentic nature and it doesn't matter what you go through in life. It honestly doesn't matter. There is no right or wrong in what you choose to experience. And so, you know, whatever I went through as a, as a, as a kid, whatever other people go through as, you know, when they were younger, it doesn't matter, you know, but you got to hug it out with yourself. You just yeah. got to love yourself. Yeah, and yeah. you know, as even when I was younger, you know, just grab a teddy bear or something, and just say, you know, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to be say, okay. Yes. Yeah. So those are the yeah. Because I was like, what words of comfort that that Birgitta who's lying on the floor sobbing. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What does she need may, to hear? Do you know, it's funny because even when I was lying on the floor sobbing, you know, I have a dog and and I found her on the street and she's part. um part Basenji and uh, part lab. And uh, she would just get the ball and she'd want to play with me, like, get up, stop sulking. What are you doing to yourself? Right? Because that's just the way she is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's right. You know, what am I doing? What was I doing? But that was the only outlet I had. And, you know, like I said, spirit up there, my guides were up like, oh, Brigida, are you getting it now? Do you understand it now? And so yeah, that was uh, that that was amazing. But even when I learned to channel, right, it was such a healing experience for me that channeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was amazing, and then it becomes like riding a bike because yeah. I'm very persistent. If I want to do something, I will do it. Um, but it helped me so so much, and 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 writing the book helped me so so much as well. Writing a book is an amazing way to come to understand things. It really yes, what a it difference is. it makes. Yeah. 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 Speaking of books, you've written a book. And uh, so let's talk, like, tell us a little bit about your book. Uh, My book is called Becoming Authentically Me, which is written a little bit different, of course, uh, because it's B-E-C-O-M-I-N-G. And Mm -hmm. when the Council of Rye gave it to me, I'm like, what the heck is this? Right. And they're like, you can, you know, swap the letters around and it becomes being.com. Okay. And it says, they're saying it's being the creation of myself. So everyone creates themselves, right? You know, every single day we create and express ourselves, however we choose to. So, so that's what it's about. And it's really about returning, you know, life is actually, as Saint Germain always says, is about returning to a love of self and and, and a love for, for all, so to speak. That's what life is about. And that is the hardest thing for people to do, to return to love of self. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Actually, it isn't, but yeah. And mm-hmm. so I touch on so many subjects in my book. I mean, I talk about my my life. I talk about uh, the exercises in there with St. Germain on EFT. I talk about depression. Um, I talk about mental health. There are loads of Q&As in there with Archangel Zadkiel, St. Germain, uh, Lord Sananda. Uh, I talk about the city of Shambhala. I talk about my galactic lives, where I'm from. I talk about many of my past lives. I don't think I've been a goody two-shoes all the time because I used to be an inquisitor as well um, in Peru. So I chopped off people's hands. Actually, I didn't put that one in there. I was a court I, poisoner. Oh, oh, right. I was in the Vatican. Yeah, I was a poisoner right. in the Vatican. Yeah, <laughs> I've had, I've done some pretty dastardly things in other lives. I have, yes, um, yeah, I, I've definitely not been the always like sweetness and light. I've definitely done some unsavory no, things. We have to learn. We have to learn the polarities, right? Yeah, that's what we yeah. do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I talk about the transformation and everything that's going on right now as well. Yeah. Um, so that's mostly channel, but um, yeah. So there's there's understanding abuse, and I, a lot of it's channel, a lot of it's cha- you know interwoven with channeled messages, and I hope that people will 
you know, not be a donkey like I was. Yeah. Yeah. So where can people find, where can people find your book and find out more about you? Uh, my book is available on Amazon worldwide. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not doing so bad right now, actually. That's great. And, yeah, I know. I'm very surprised. And they can find me on Facebook on the Universal Light Warriors and on my website on the Power Soul Healing. Um, and so powersoulhealing.com is your website? Yes. 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 And all of these will be in the show notes, you guys. So if you come on over to Empathic Mastery show.com you can listen to you know you'll be able to find all of Birgitta's notes including um, a link to the book and all kinds of other wonderful stuff Birgitta this has been such a rich conversation thank you so much for coming and thank you for sharing like your true true self your story and like just I hope that people are coming away from this conversation feeling inspired, but also feeling hopeful and realizing like you can go through a lot and still live a joyful life. Yeah, because that's what that's you're here to be joyful, to be happy, right? Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.